Hey, Steve here from Launch Notes. So I'm the head of our Slack community, Launch Awesome, and today's episode is a recording of an AMA we did with the community. We do these AMAs every few weeks with thought leaders in the product space, and if you want to join an upcoming AMA and get your own questions answered, you should check it out. You'll find a link in the show notes, or you can just Google Launch Awesome, and it'll come right up. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this month's Launch Awesome AMA. Uh, I'm Steve. I run the Launch Awesome community, and today I'm joined by Andy Yo. Um, I think I'm getting that right. Uh, yep. I've known supposed to ask before, but here we go. Um, anyway, so Andy, um, man, what's say about Andy? He built out the product team at Airbyte, uh, led kind of like a integrations, a uh, little bit of like DevRel kind of stuff at Segment. Um, currently doing some advising, some product coaching, and a bit of angel investing. So if you're raising, make sure you obviously hit him up afterwards. Uh, see if he's interested in investing. Um, so today, me and Andy are going to be talking about his experience getting continuous discovery going during his time at Airbyte. Uh, and we can kind of you can speckle some questions in, or we'll take them at the end. Uh, we'll see how many we can kind of work in there. Um, if it's your first time joining us, these AMAs are put on by Launch Awesome, uh, which is a Slack community for product folks. So PMs, PMMs, product ops people. Uh, and we talk about the strategies, tactics, pro tips that uh, folks use to build and launch great products uh, and also great, like build great product teams as well. Uh, we got over 600 of the best in product and product marketing from companies like Webflow, Hopin, Loom, Twilio, Dovetail, and more. So if you want to join, uh, just Google Launch Awesome. It's kind of the first hit up there. Uh, you'll find an application to join. Uh, and if you want to submit some questions, like I said, go ahead and drop them in chat. We'll work them in and we'll get to it. Alrighty, Andy, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Excited of course. Today's conversation. Yes, totally. Um, okay, so for the folks that don't know, I like to start out um, each AMA like this, but give us the quick two-minute highlight career um, highlight reel of your career, just so people kind of know where you're coming from. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I, I guess I haven't spoken much, but uh, so probably hard to detect, but I'm Australian. I have an education in marketing, but spent really the first half of my career traversing the go-to-market side in various pre-sales and post-sales roles across Asia-Pacific at companies like LinkedIn and Hootsuite. Um, so that was incredibly fun because I was on the landing teams, I was building up offices from scratch, and I really appreciated yeah. that version of a startup kind of experience. And so in my last role in the region, I was the only solutions engineer or sales engineer supporting the entire sales team. So I became the product liaison working very closely with headquarters with product and engineering for the first time uh, to surface the region's biggest customer pain points. That's when I realized I wanted to be even closer to that part of business and, and thought about transitioning yeah. into product. So yeah. I'm a bit of a wanderlust. So was ready to move to a different part of the world. And so I came to San Francisco which is where I'm based today. And I've held product roles, um, as Steve mentioned, at both Segment and Airbyte, both within the data space. So at Segment, I was focused on the extensibility tooling that would enable our partners to help us build integrations and so grow that catalog. At Airbyte, mm -hmm. I held a bigger role because I was a founding PM. Um, so I built out the team there, the processes for product, as well as leading our strategy for scaling our catalog of connectors or, or integrations. And so in today's conversation, I'll, I'll be focused more on sort of the experiences at Airbyte. So just to give folks a little bit of context, if you haven't heard of us before, um, Airbyte is a data movement platform. 
so what that means is every company has data that they have to move from point A to point B. Usually that's into like a database or a data warehouse for further analysis. And most companies require quite a bit of manpower from their data engineering teams to build individual data pipelines for these sources of data. So with Airbyte, instead of doing that, you can add a couple of clicks, be able to connect to multiple sources of data um, and move that into your, your downstream uh, databases or data warehouses. <laughs> cool. Love that you got your start kind of on the more and almost like the go-to market side of the house. I feel like having an experience, so in previous lifetime, I was a co-founder of statuspage.io and as a co-founder, you do a little bit of, everyone does a little bit of everything. Having, God, having that experience of being able to see, being able to see all parts of the business and how they work, I feel like really makes you such a better product manager. It gives you having both of those, having, all, yeah, like all of those perspectives, being able to hold all those perspectives at the same time. Um, I feel like gives you, I don't know, this better sense of like, of ownership of like the whole company. I know a lot of PMs can kind of get, I don't know almost shoehorned into like, oh, I just think about this one part of, you know, what I'm in charge of. But having had those experiences, it like opens up your mind to how the whole thing works together. So love that. Um, okay, off on a tangent. Okay, today we are talking about uh, your, sorry, uh, your experience um, uh, kind of implementing continuous discovery at Airbyte. Um, can you kind of, before we get into that, set, set the stage of the company a little bit like, um, like, how big is, talk to me about the product team. Like how big is it? How's the team structured? Um, let's just start there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe just to touch very quickly on this tangent that you went on, I actually think it's very relevant. I think, especially in this community of folks, um, I also strongly, I'm a big advocate of folks coming from different backgrounds. And I think where it's relevant to this conversation is folks who come from different backgrounds, especially customer facing backgrounds tend to have a lot of empathy. And so I think that that level of empathy lends itself very well to thinking about how do we understand our customers and our users better. Um, so yeah, bringing that back into today's conversation. Um, so cool. setting the stage, like I said, uh, this was during my time at Airbyte. Um, at the point where this sort of became a topic of conversation, we were about four and a half product managers. And the reason I say half is because at Airbyte at that time, we had a growth PM who wasn't formally part of the product organization. Um, she was on the growth and go-to-market side, but was sort of like semi-involved. Um, mm -hmm. With the four PMs that uh, were formerly part of the product org, they, they were split between two parts of the business. So one was our connectors organization, uh, which is what I led and was responsible for uh, figuring out how to actually always have the integration or the connector that a customer needed in their data stack. And then the second part of the business was the platform organization. And so they were more focused on like the reliability and the overarching experience of the holistic product um, outside of connectors. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, okay. So you guys are cruising along, something's happened, something's happened. Things aren't working as well anymore. You feel like, Hey, we should make, make some change. We need to, be maybe more thoughtful about our kind of approach talking to customers. Um, talk to me about like what was going on. Like, hey, we need to we need to kind of rethink how we're doing this. Yeah, um, 
And so actually at this point, it might be helpful to set some context even around the size of Airbyte. Um, so Airbyte yeah. at this yeah. point, I think we were probably around like 50 to 60 people, um, you know, seven or eight months prior to that, I joined as number 18. Um, and since then, the company grew to like 110. And so like very much in hyper growth. Uh, mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. what I share today may be more specific to like early stage organizations and specifically where the pain point arose. And I distinctly recall talking to my CEO about this was like, we were very quickly starting to lose touch with the day to day of what our users were doing and what our customers were doing. At this mm -hmm. stage of company, everyone's running around like headless chickens and trying to figure out like, <laughs> what is this initiative that we're doing? How do we sort of focus on all of that kind of stuff. And you didn't really have, or, or we had sort of overlooked one of the key um, key responsibilities of, of the PM role uh, and the value behind what PMs can bring to an organization, which is that voice of the customer. Um, we did talk to customers, but it was very much on like a one-off um, for certain initiatives. And I think that's the direction that we're trying to as an industry move away from is time in place customer or user research that we're only talking to someone because we're about to like ideate and like release a particular product. And so that's sort of the point at which we were like, hey, let's take a step back. We as PMs need to be much closer to the customer or to the user. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it sounds kind of like um, it's not a good idea to just decide Hey, I'm going to run a half marathon and just do it. You like, you should be, you need this muscle, like kind of already built. Um, if that kind of makes sense. Um, um, okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. Okay. So, okay. So t tell me about like next steps, you guys. Uh, last time we chatted, you mentioned, okay, first step for us was like, we got together, we did, we did book club, we read uh, continuous discovery habits. Talk to me through, like, talk to me through that, how you guys kind of felt about the book how you, I don't know, how you kind of organized around that? Yeah. So I, I think after that conversation was when I sort of really doubled down and was like, hey, this is something that I should dig into. I mean, honestly, like Teresa Torres has, is very reputable. Her book was very reputable at the time. I just never gotten mm -hmm. around to reading it. And so mm -hmm. uh, it was a great <laughs> idea actually to sort of stand that up as our, the first book in a book club that um, we, we established for the product team. Um, and so we mm -hmm. would read one to maybe three chapters every week. The purpose mm -hmm. of this was really to, um, with any sort of like change management, anything you're trying to introduce is making sure that everyone's bought in. I think like everyone on the call, if you've been a PM for a while, like I think stakeholder buy-in or any buy-in is critical. And so reading the book really helped the team get a sense of like, okay, what was the problem that we're trying to solve for? What is the shift, as I described earlier, around moving away from the time in place kind of research to like a continuous process? Why was that important and why would that be helpful for us? Um, and so that was how we approached it. So it, it took a bit of time, but like we, we got through a, a large majority of the book. I would say that, and this is where folks on the call might experience this in their own organizations, our instinctive mm. reaction was, this is really great in theory. I don't know mm. that we have time or that it's necessarily relevant for us right now. Um, okay. And that was a really yeah, interesting... Tell me more. 
conversation we would like read the chapter and then we'd be like okay like we just want the answers like we're talking about like all this kind of stuff but like how do we actually implement um and i think for a while as a team we were kind of stuck and we were ready to just be like oh whatever like we're just gonna go back to what we've already been doing but i think if you treat sort of this framework and this process almost as you would a product like for us we sort of thought about it as like, okay, like what's the MVP? What's the lowest um, sort of barrier to entry that we can implement? Um, and from yeah. my perspective, as I sort of thought about the group was like, if I'm seeing folks already drop off away from the idea right now, like we're never going to be able to implement this. Like it doesn't matter what stage or like how mature you get, like it's only going to get harder. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's where I think like shifting gears to thinking about implementation, like one of the key things that was top of mind for me was how do we make sure that this is the easiest thing possible um, that doesn't sort of make a PM feel like, wow, like I've just been told to do like so much more work. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Talk to me. Did you feel like there was kind of a, a lot of pushback around that, a little pushback around that? It was a little pushback. I think, um, I mean, something I'm grateful for is that at Airbyte and sort of at, at most early stage companies, you hire for people who are really willing to roll out their sleeves and really willing to be scrappy and do what it takes to make something happen. Um, mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. a lot of folks have come and asked me the question of like, hey, like, you know, PMs already have so much work on their plate. Like, how is it possible that this was something that you could add onto the plate? And honestly... Mm -hmm there was pushback, right? But I think having read the book as a group, we were very aligned on the value that it would bring. Um, and sort of it was front-loading some of the work that we knew inevitably we would have to tackle. Um, and this would give us a better upfront and like, not to use, repeat the word of continuous, <laughs> it was kind of like, if you think about it as like working out or like, preparing let's use this like marathon thing again um like if you're preparing for a marathon and you're only waiting to till the weeks before the marathon to really train it's going to be that much harder and for us it was very much like hey let's start this do it once a week or do it twice a week let's sort of see how things work and then we can iterate pull back add more as things come totally do you feel like the hesitance was more um, from pe other people within the product org or did anyone else kind of like on the periphery, the exact team was the exact team worried uh, that you, that it's a waste of time was the dev and design team worried. Like, Oh, we're already not getting enough support from product. Like they shouldn't take, take more on. Or is it mostly kind of like from other PMs? Not really. Um, I would say that most other teams to them, when you when you talk about the idea of like hey pms whatever whether it's continuous or otherwise if if you present an idea to to an external function and it says hey pms are going to have a better pulse on customer and user sort of pain points re like we didn't get any any pushback there was never really a line that those individuals or those stakeholders necessarily drew and said hey like if a PM were to do X, um, this means they have less time for us. That was sort of yeah. an expectation on the product team to figure it out 
um, and to yeah. sort of reprioritize their time as needed. Right. Okay. Yep. Totally makes sense. Okay. So, so yeah, talk to me about step one. Presumably, uh, the first bit is like, hey, we need to we need a system around recruiting users for more interviews. Like, talk to me how you guys thought about um, kind of systematizing that. Yeah. So I think um, coming into that, the there were two main sort of like principles that um, really guided us in, in terms of how we implemented this. So the first was, as I mentioned earlier, a low barrier to entry for us as a product team. I wanted to make sure that like the adoption of this process and this program um, made sense and it, where possible, was as easy as possible. The second mm -hmm. was... Um, on the user side or on the like customer side, how do we make sure that this was not disruptive at all, but it was something that was welcoming um, and enticing enough for people to sort of get involved with? Um, and so that's where like I'll give a plug here to what we used was Calendly. Um, I'm sure yeah. there are other services out there that will support this, but a big reason why, I mean, we were already using Calendly internally. We were already using it for various external calls. The feature and functionality that Calendly enabled was really, really helpful. And so actually initially we thought about, hey, like each PM will have their own Calendly link. And then um, we'll sort of figure out, depending on the topic of conversation, that a user would be interested in, in in sharing, we would then share the respective links. And that was just like way too complicated. And so we moved sort of that decision criteria sort of up um, or sort of, I, I guess, like further down this journey. So with Calendly, what we used was a round robin link. And so like we had everyone's calendars plugged in and we just had a single link. <laughs> the specific thing that... Um, we wanted to make sure to do though was to have um, a required field within that form that allowed the the interviewee to actually share like the topics of conversation that they were interested in talking about whether or not that linked to a particular pm's product area was not something we necessarily um focused on early on but it was just in preparation if we needed to like loop someone else in because the topic was like a bit too deep at least we would have that information up front um okay yeah okay uh we, like to get like into the weeds of this i think people actually kind of like the like specific how you did it um so you're saying like individual calendly links for like topics of interest assigned to certain pms was like overkill and made it too it, it, you guys weren't feeling it so you guys went to so you're saying you went to like a more round robin uh system where people would kind of maybe have times and they'd randomly get like assigned um ones is that is that more or less how that works yeah and i would say like specifically driving it back to one of the principles i shared which was like we wanted to make sure that it was low barrier to entry for pms but also low barrier to entry for users the idea of having individual links for every single PM. I mean, we were a small team, but like as you scale, like that would change anyway. It's like who on the like internal Airbyte side would be managing who to send which links to? Who like on the user side, like what was their sort of experience? Like they would have to maybe submit an inform information about what they wanted to talk about and then wait for the link and what would that look like? Yeah. And so like from that perspective, it was just a subpar experience. 
Um, right. There's obviously some downsides with the round robin. Like, you're mm-hmm. going to have situations where um, perhaps, like, on the connector side, we were getting a lot of interviews um, on, like, platform-related topics. But one thing that I've held pretty... Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a pretty strongly held opinion here, at least at an early stage company, even when it comes to like feedback and insights is I would like the product team to actually have a pretty holistic view of like what is happening. So even if your product area is like fairly specific at this early stage, there's not really too much of a need for you to silo yourself. And so there was definitely like benefit in having people take cause cross-functionally right like across different parts Mm -hmm. of the business um and i i have a pretty big belief that that actually helps you be a better pm because you get the context from different parts of the product surface area yeah kind of dovetails with what we were talking about earlier about just having a more holistic view of of the product of the business of how people are feeling i feel like makes you just in general uh, a better pm um okay that's really interesting one other thing that you said was around not making it um, making it easy for PMs and not not disruptive for customers, and also not just that, but also enticing to customers. Any thoughts you have around there? Around like how do you? I mean, you're kind of pitching customers. You're you know you're selling them on something a little bit, right? They're gonna have to spend some of their time and energy to come do it. What kinds of things did you do to make this easy for customers to sign up? How did you make it um, seem appealing uh, appealing so that people signed up at all? Um, yeah, tell me about that. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of elements to that. I think like um, one of them is the, the channels that you choose to distribute this information um, or this mm-hmm. ability to sign up. The second is the copy and sort of the 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 ask that you're making. Um, and so let me start with maybe the channels. Um, for us, I think like once we sort of solidified that there would just be one link and all of the scheduling, everything was done like after that link, that link Mm -hmm. just became the thing that we could choose to share. And so it was a combination of things like anything that was an external facing customer communication. So some examples that we tested out were things like churn surveys or like um, MPS surveys, or Mm -hmm. um, at Airbyte, we were a um, open source first organization. So we had a lot of like a, a fairly large community Um, And so we sent like newsletters and we also had a big Slack community that sort of was pretty like open, like how we could send stuff. Um, There's also like some automations when folks first sign up to a Slack community, there's a way for like, we would have links there for like, if you have feedback, please sort of like click on this link and and schedule time. I would say that, um, so those channels, oh, and in addition to that, like obviously in-app things, right? Like you can do in-app pop-ups depending on what services you use within the app. I think for us where we were using either Customer.io or like Chameleon. Um, mm-hmm. So the channels matter a lot in terms of like, where are you and where is the user and what is their mindset of like, what challenges that, that they're facing. The second thing is more around copy. And so I think one like very specific example here is we definitely tried it with the churn survey we didn't get a lot of response and the reason mm-hmm. for that was i think twofold one is like when someone churns it's very unlikely that they have any additional motivation to give you the time of day um 
And so what we adjusted there was like, hey, like, it's actually okay. We probably won't get very much in terms of like an, a proper conversation. So like the mm-hmm. copy we switched up to say, hey, like, just reply to this email with a few bullet points of like what you had challenges around. Um, but mm-hmm. if you're interested, feel free to schedule time with us. We had we lowered our expectations there in terms of like whether they would want to talk to us. Um, conversely, with things that were happening in app, like if we were able to, when we adjusted sort of the timing of when something popped up or like, um, I think some mm-hmm. folks have asked me this before is like, how do you target the right type of user? Like, especially in app, you have a, a pretty strong control over that, right? Like, okay, if they've done like conditionally these actions or like they've run into this error, like when is this going to pop up? That really helps you narrow down like, almost like a qualified participant in that, like they've suddenly felt some pain and mm-hmm. normally they could just, I mean, more than likely they can talk to support, which is great. Um, you still have an avenue of like channeling that information to you. Um, but if they're interested, they, especially like, at least in our world at, at Airbyte, we had a lot of people who were, I guess, like very devoted to like testing things out and sharing things. And so from that standpoint, it was like, more about oh hey now there's an avenue available for me to talk to product um and then like wrapping like rounding out the copy piece it was like a lot of it came down to how you framed it um i know steve you just mentioned like as you talked about like enticing it was like what is the incentive and like you're asking something Mm -hmm. of these individuals i think the Mm -hmm. framing of that you can actually change in that like Mm -hmm. Half the time, it's not that we're asking anything of our users. We're there to help our users. Um, we're, we're there to help our customers and give them an opportunity to be a part of the build process, to be a part of the growth mm-hmm. of the product. Um, and that totally. is actually like incentive enough for a lot of folks in that they're like, totally. you know, like normally this is such a black box or like, I mean, any company that you're at, you're kind of like, I mean, I, yes. I wish I could talk to a. I wish I could talk to a Jira PM about um, the UX <laughs> design. Not yeah. bringing that up from any Slack conversations that have happened recently. Um, <laughs> but the the fact that you're sort of extending that invitation usually is is pretty strong incentive. We did also like in parallel test with certain things around like like Amazon gift cards and stuff like that, and and that can also yeah. help. It just sort of depends on internally what your budgets are, like how you want to choose that. Ideally, I, personally, I felt like reserving that for like larger actual user research things is more helpful. But um, mm. you could also do things with um, like credits within the application that you're you're working on. Like, what are those types of incentives yeah. as well? Yeah, love that. That's cool. Cool. Okay. Okay. So we're signing people up. Okay. So going into these calls. What kind of I don't know, what kind of like prep were you doing beforehand, or were there? Did you have a list of kind of specific research questions you were trying to answer for every call, or how did you approach those? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the short answer is no. We didn't have anything prepped. We didn't have any specific questions. Um, the only rule of thumb that we held um, is the rule of thumb for any sort of like user conversation and research, which was to ask open-ended questions. Uh, Mm -hmm. Really the purpose of this, and I think one thing that I wanna 
maybe at this point draw some distinction around is at least for us continuous discovery was not intended to be scoped to any particular topic it wasn't intended to validate or invalidate any specific hypothesis so in that sense it was different from like your standalone customer research initiatives that that folks do um Mm -hmm. And in that vein, we didn't have specific questions. The goal was to give the floor to the user and the customer for them to share anything they wanted to yeah. the product. And so yeah. the question, I guess, was really just like, hey, like, you know, thanks for joining. Uh, would love to hear what you wanted to share with us. And then from there, mm-hmm. you're just asking more questions. They might be sharing a pain point. Sometimes I think like one of the pitfalls of this is like, they might want you to debug something live with them. And generally speaking, like you politely decline and you sort of like commit to like supporting them later on um, and mm-hmm. you can follow up, but you want to spend that time actually learning about like, okay, like how are you doing this? Like what are the, can you like walk me through this experience that you're having and like talk me through the challenges? Um, so it's pretty like standard stuff, but the most important thing to think about is like keep your questions open, but also... um making sure that the user or the customer feels like the floor is theirs to talk about. It's a safe space for them to talk about anything they want. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Just kind of like the big wide open question about their experience. Uh, great place to start. And then, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think, um, I think in, in my experience, just asking people like, Oh, show me how you do X in the product. And they start poking around and it just jogs so many memories or thoughts that they've had. Um, and can lead to kind of like a wealth of, um, I don't know, just good feedback. Another good one that I always find is kind of, um, especially if your if your product has a handful of different features, just kind of just kind of floating like, oh hey, I noticed you guys aren't using X Y Z. Like, tell me about that. Is that was that a conscious decision or um, you get a ton of? Um, uh, I was confused about how this that or the other works, and it's like, oh okay, and it just kind of um, shines a light on some of those things. So yeah, all great. I'll get questions. Yeah, but I'll, yeah, always leaning towards the more open-ended side, for sure. Um, okay, talk to me about, let's see, what else? You know, another big part of it um, uh, is around having having other folks on the product team join on calls. Teresa Torres, at least, is kind of um, pretty, I think, pretty adamant about even like dev and design um, joining. Um, from what I remember, you guys didn't start um, with a big emphasis on that. Talk me, talk me through that, um, and kind of what the pros and cons of that were, and yeah, just your experience in general there. Yeah, and maybe I'll like sort of increase the scope of this question a little bit around like after reading Teresa's book um, and sort of like looking through people's blog posts of like how they implemented it at their different organizations. Like one of the things that we were very cognizant of and like bringing this back to what I initially shared around the MVP and the idea that like we thought this was not right for us was that like Mm -hmm. we really pick and chose what was recommended for the stage of our company for sort of where we were at within the product team. And so the two specific things that I'll call out that we didn't do was definitely, um, this concept of the like the the pod or like the the triad like we didn't involve yeah. design and engineering um and then the second thing is we didn't really um implement the opportunity solution trees and so with both of those things it was really just a matter of like 
did we think it was effective at sort of the stage that we were at? And so on the first point around um, this triad, the difficulty there was because it's continuous and we're a fast-moving startup, it was already difficult enough for us to think about it from a product perspective of having these calls appear on your calendar to talk to people. Mm -hmm. It was extra difficult for like the rest of the organization and that would have been a higher barrier to entry for us to sort of get buy-in. And so it was like, why do that? so early on um one specific thing i'll highlight is that like at our stage of the organization we only had one designer and that designer was focused not just on product design but also on marketing design so this person was very time poor and then on the engineering side um one piece of it is like at this level of maturity or like early stage side of the the organization is what is the best sort of uh use of an engineer's time and we didn't feel like this was it um Mm -hmm. but i would highlight that we got a lot of engineering involvement in the more specific user and customer research calls so when there was a specific topic we would loop them in um both Mm -hmm. engineering design so that was like the reason why we didn't do that with the triads um in terms of the the opportunity solution tree I, so, so we did actually test it out. It just was a lot. It was a lot of um, kind of like manual effort to like plot things down. It took a long mm-hmm. time to sort of like sit there and go through everything. Um, mm-hmm. And so again, it was something, it was just something to do with the complexity behind that. That We knew eventually we would have to get there. And I think like once you have it available and you're constantly updating it and you've you've built the muscle to do that, it would be... I can see how helpful it is, but at our stage, it was much easier just to have a shared Google Doc, throw everything in, don't make it overly complicated. Um, We would have weekly check-ins amongst the product team to talk about like everything that we'd learned. I think out of these conversations, it was helpful to, for each of the PMs to actually surface any gaps in their own product knowledge or any um, interesting insights around like maybe they hadn't kept in touch or like kept abreast of some of the updates that the other team had shipped on. Um, they weren't, they didn't have some of the additional context. And like, so I think at this stage for us, it was, this was really helpful in us understanding where the gaps were within the org or within the product org that helped us um, fill. And then the second thing was, it was really great for thoughtful discussions amongst the team of like, hey, like, you know, someone came to us about this particular problem it's four squarely within my product area. Um, but when you bring it up within the team, you realize, hey, actually, like, well, how about, like, actually, we already have something that could potentially be either A, a workaround if it's not a priority, or actually, mm-hmm. like, we're actually working on something that's, like, could possibly tackle this, or or we could, like, expand the scope of, like, what we're doing here to address that if it's critical enough. So, yeah. ultimately, I think the um, sort of taking all of that insight into one place, it just was about a discussion and a conversation um, to, to make that valuable to the team. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I asked that just because I kind of wanted to like normalize. I feel like sometimes when people talk about um, things like this, they get a little almost, I don't know what the word is, like religious about it. Like, there's one mm-hmm. right way to do it. And if you're not doing it this way, you're not doing it at all. And it's like, 
Well, for, for a young org in, in the interest of like crawl, walk, run, like we're doing what works for us. And like, sure, we, we see the benefits of um, maybe doing it that way, obviously, you know, pulling more people into it. But like, this is what makes sense for us at this size. And biting it, like if you try and bite off uh, more than you can chew on the first go around, like you're just going to kind of spit the whole thing out uh, and be back at square one. So, um, okay. I did want to talk. Yeah. I did want to get a little bit more into, you'd said, didn't really use, didn't really do OSTs as much. I want to talk just, I don't know, just more about the, the format that you, that this feedback came into, how you guys organized it. What other things you did to disseminate this feedback, um, such that like the whole organization can benefit from the, you know, insights that are being generated by these calls. Yeah. I would probably say that like we didn't do a fantastic job of that. Um, but that wasn't limited to this initiative with continuous mm -hmm. research. It was a more probably holistic challenge around any feedback that we were getting. So I think one thing that worked decently well for us, especially early on and continues to be is just to have a like notes and user feedback channel um within slack where mm -hmm. anyone in the organization is dropping in sort of like tidbits of, of things um and so what we were doing was like we would synthesize and put things into that slack channel reflecting on that i don't think it's the most effective way of disseminating insights um it's really interesting because i was recently on a call with sort of a, a, a pre-seed stage startup um, who was trying to tackle that exact problem. And the reason why it's such a challenge is there's a lot of manual work to synthesize this information. There's a lot of manual work to like put it in a format that makes sense for everyone else to read. So for us at this stage, we were primarily doing a lot of stuff that would get the product team up to speed. I think the next phase of this was taking the most critical things that we felt like was worthwhile surfacing and then disseminating that. Um, what we tried to do was actually present at an all hands. Um, and that was actually really well received. With the all hands in those situations, we were also able to not only like come together with like a broad synthesis, but also what I've found most effective, not just at Airbyte, but also at, in my past organizations, was to take sort of partial clippings of um, your conversation, whether that's through Gong or like whatever recording service you use, and to actually play that during those sessions. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, mm -hmm. that was a lot of work for us. And so like mm -hmm. we didn't actually do a great job of making that consistent. Um, and so that's where the Slack channel, as well as, um, when it come to, came to planning, we were able to come to the conversations more informed. And then only at that point did we sort of bring some of the backing that we had, uh, but it wasn't broadly, it wasn't broadcasted. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a tough, man. That's a tough one. I think it's something that everyone struggles with. It's just a lot, not much to say other than it's just a lot of extra work to package that stuff up and get it in front of people on top of, do, like doing the work, like doing the interviews yourself, and then just like doing your whole damn j day job in addition to um, the rest of it. So, uh, Philly on that one. 
Um, I think that's actually um, just very quickly to touch on this is I I think that's where like AI comes into it. Like I think there are several companies these days thinking about. I mean, ultimately, like what's the unsexiest part of someone's job? And I think this is one of those things: is like the manual work around synthesizing and understanding insights, and then making that translating that to something that's actionable. Um, I think there's a, a lot of work that can be done there. Yes, totally. Yeah, even already the difference between, you know, sales folks from our team would say like, "Hey, just just had a great call with XYZ company. Here's a link to the recording," and it's like, "Oh man, I got to listen to forty five yeah. minute talk. I'm sure it's full of gold." Um, but even just like being able to apply, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of things are already applying, like uh, highlights from the call. Um, you know, like just it's it's already able to surface some of those. Um, so excited to see where that goes in the future. Uh, I'm sure it's going to help a lot. Um, okay. Last thing, and then, uh, can get into a couple questions that were kind of pre-submitted by the community. Um, so let's fast forward a couple months after you guys start doing this. What's like different about the way that Airbyte was doing, like doing product? Like what, what do you guys feel like was kind of the net net effect a few months in? I think the most immediate and most obvious thing was we were having a lot more conversations um, amongst the product team across the different sort of business areas. And so I like touched on this earlier. I think like it gave us the sort of talking points to have conversations, to break down any barriers that existed or any silos that existed around like, oh, like what's happening in that part of the business? Oh, is this problem something that could bring us together so that we can collaborate as like multiple teams rather than just thinking about it as one. So that's probably the first and foremost. Um, and that was like very evident and clear from the, the get-go. I think the second one um, is around having greater confidence in talking to your stakeholders. I think one thing that happens a lot, especially at an early stage startup is like, whoever your leader is, in this case, it was like my CEO. Oftentimes the question is like, just out of the blue, it would just be like, what do users think about this? Or like, how painful is it to do X? Mm-hmm. And like, unless you're like the end persona and you're constantly using the product um, and you're constantly talking to customers or users, it's really difficult for you to answer that without kind of like, oh, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm not on Slack right now and I'm going to like go figure it out and then I'm going to come back and let this person know. And so the CEO is just one example of that. But I think like you come into a lot of these conversations with the rest of go-to-market team, with other executive team members, when you go into planning and people are kind of like, okay, like this is the strategy that we're going with for this quarter or for this cycle. Um, Who else has something to add? There's, as a, the product team had a lot more ammunition to to offer um and i think one thing i shared with you before is like working with the sales or typically at these points in time of like what should we work on next there's there tends to be a ton of recency bias and i think pms should often be held accountable for pushing back on that recency bias obviously with a lot of like data driven um sort of conversations But also I think it's important for PMs and in using this format to build a muscle around like 
holistically, how am I viewing things? What is the intuition that I'm building um, that something mm-hmm. is or isn't right? How do I push mm-hmm. back some of this recency bias? Like a salesperson might come to you and say like, hey, like this is a huge pain point, but you spent the past six months talking to users and like you haven't heard that come up. And so then you, you can come to that conversation much more informed. Um, yes. I think the final thing I'll say, which is probably a, a bit a bit more like indirect, but is a well-known fact, is a lot of folks I talk to, a lot of like early stage PMs actually ask the question of like, how do I develop better product sense? How do I develop better empathy? And this is a great mm-hmm. way of doing it, right? Like there's obviously ways where like you're going and using the product yourself, but like talking to users and that forcing function um, really gets you up to speed um, and builds that inherently in you. Yes, I love that. Yeah, seeing again and again and again why something doesn't make sense to this person or something doesn't work for that person when it when it made sense to you or you understood it, then you're kind of forced to evaluate. Like, oh, okay, what are, what are the things that led to this kind of you know mismatch of understanding? And yeah, it's a hundred percent. It's a muscle. Um, that you kind of build over time just by doing that. So love that. Another, yeah, one other thing I wanted to say, which is in the ballpark of something you were already saying was around um, pushing back on, re- like, uh, I don't know, just instances of recency bias for, hey, what should go on the roadmap is. I think one of the, be- like, part of the beauty of doing this is um, you can, like, in theory, like you got, you know, you got six calls scheduled over the next two weeks. Like you can, you can validate these things. Any question that comes up becomes then easy to validate because, hey, we already, we already got a couple calls scheduled. It doesn't feel like, oh, I have to kind of spin up this, you know, it's like a Herculean effort. If you're not already doing this, it can, any research project can feel a bit like a yeah Herculean effort to spin up. But when you're already doing it like a little bit every week, getting any question uh, then feels just so much easier so yeah absolutely i'd plus one that one one thing i will highlight is i've had folks come to me and ask me like almost like how continuous discovery replaces customer and user research and it doesn't right like those are two separate things i think that even if your company and your organization is doing user research and customer research well that means you're digging deep and figuring out a particular topic area, and that's great. Doing continuous discovery doesn't mean you shouldn't do the dig deep user research, but to your Mm -hmm. point, I think it gives you a greater sense of like generally what to focus on for your user research, but also Mm -hmm. like a high level understanding of, I mean, these conversations are not always long conversations. You're not going into them prepared. And so there's, bound to be more insights that you need to grab. But the continuous discovery is really to give you a general pulse of like, what are the things that I do need to dig into? What are the investments that I want to, as a team, ideate on? And then once there, you've got a slew of information already that you take into the user research. And that helps you inform like, what are the hypotheses that I want to test out? What are the questions I want to dig deeper into? And it's only at that point that you sort of yeah drill deeper but both things are are very important right that makes sense 
Okay. Um, a couple questions that folks from the community had submitted ahead of time. James Snook had asked, how many customers to talk to each week? Uh, for how long? Um, yeah, let's just start right there. Cool. Um, so I think the question of how many customers is entirely up to your team, your team's capacity, um, and sort of how well you've sold it into the organization. Uh, for us, we didn't have a set number. We sort of just kept it uncapped. Um, mm -hmm. The idea was that we can always pull back on the number of calls that you get, but it's usually much more difficult to recruit enough people to actually have these conversations with you. So we sort of just had everything wide open um, with the idea that if someone felt overwhelmed, we would make some incremental adjustments to either the round robin, um, scheduling, whatever it was, or maybe the, the channels that we did the outreach to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Imp implementation question there. Did you all, did all the PMs just have like a one hour slot that was like hard blocked on their calendar because they know, Oh, I might get, I might get a user interview, um, scheduled there. Or like, how did, how did you guys manage that? Managing around Robin in general. So we didn't, we, um, we, yeah, we weren't necessarily like stringent or formulaic about how we did it. I know that like um, in looking at some of the PM calendars, I think like most people blocked probably about three to four hours at various times. I tended to just block like probably like one entire day. For me, like Fridays were my no meeting days. And so I, there was more likelihood that I would have free time there. But mm -hmm. um Again, that was something that was like fairly iterative. And I think like one thing that I do want to stress with some of these questions coming in is like exactly that, like what you said earlier, Steve, around like people think that there's a right and a wrong way to do it. People think that there's a formula to do it. And I think that that's never the case. For us, we were very open-minded about how things would happen. We were just like, let's just get it out there. And if we need mm -hmm. to adjust, like we can adjust, right? Like your team's going to get really busy during planning season. So you reduce yep. the number of hours available. That's, yes. yeah. Yes. Okay, and then the last one from the community was around, and you touched on this a little bit, but um, Liz Heinberg was asking for tips around sourcing the right customers for discovery. Um, how, did you guys think anything about, like, um, do, I don't know, especially, like, surfacing this more for, for folks that you know are in your ICP? Or, or maybe of a certain, um, you know, maybe they're on the business plan. So like, we really want to talk to those people. Or did you think about segmenting who you were like really trying to get um, <clears throat> things scheduled with? Um, again, the answer is no. Um, I, I think we, we talked about it. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think this comes back down to what I said earlier around like, you can always reduce the funnel. It's much more difficult to increase the funnel. Um, yeah. For us at Airbyte, I think like we had two pretty clear and distinct groups of users. One was on our community side who were using our open source free um, sort of mm -hmm. uh, offering. And then we had folks who were on the paid cloud SaaS based offering. And so that was a, cl a very clear delineation that we could have made. Within the cloud SaaS based product, there's also a delineation between like, hey, are they like free users? Are they like within a certain ICP score? We didn't want to overcomplicate it. Um, and I also honestly believe that there's very strong value. Like none of the cores 
that we ever took were considered wasted time. Even if they weren't the right person, there were tidbits of information that you were garnering that will always be will always serve you later on, right? Like it could be that like that's not exactly the person that you're targeting right now, but the purpose of continuous discovery is not to have sort of like siloed pieces of information. The whole purpose is so that you have that holistic view. And so to me, anyone that is like interested in operating off the service and offering that you're providing, no matter who they are, will be able to give you insights that might not be useful right right away, but it'll help you build an intuition around that particular target um, for a future state. Cool. Okay, love that. Um, alrighty, any, any last bits, any questions I should have asked that I didn't, anything else come to mind? Um, no, I, I feel like this was fairly exhaustive. You did a great job of, of uh, asking a ton of these questions and I've been thinking about this a lot. So yeah, yeah. nothing else to add. Cool. All right. Well, hey, just want to say thanks. Uh, thanks for coming. Thanks to the uh, crowd for coming. Uh, I know everyone's super busy, so always appreciate your time. Uh, where can folks find you online to connect? Yeah. Uh, so I'm pretty easy to search, I think, even on Google. So just my name on Google will probably show you all the different social profiles, but probably the best places are either LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, on LinkedIn, uh, I mean, just search my name. Uh, on on Twitter, my my handle is y e o a. Um, and recently, I started a, a Substack. So, like, look out for the continuous discovery post that's going to come out sometime next week. Um, and any yeah. other writing that I do. Cool. Yep. Alrighty. Well, I think after that we can wrap. So thanks, and we'll see you all next time. Amazing. Thanks, folks. Bye. Cool. Yeah. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Launch Notes podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take 10 seconds to leave us a five-star review. Your review helps new people find the show. More importantly, it lets us know which episodes you've enjoyed the most so we can continue to find amazing guests and topics you'll love. Even if you don't typically leave podcast reviews, it would mean a ton to us if you did. We're pumped when we get new reviews. I personally read every review. I'm always sharing them with the rest of the Launch Notes team. So thank you in advance and see you next time.